all the news you need to know. Welcome to the Beautiful Butterfly Show, where great people and great topics are brought together for stimulating and thought-provoking conversation brought to you by the Vibration Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. I'm your host, Bianca Fly. want to say happy, happy Tuesday to you guys out there. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. Um, a lot of folks were out picnicking, barbecuing, and having a great time for the 4th of July. So whatever you did, hopefully you did it safely, you guys. And so want to welcome you guys back to another episode over here brought to you by YRN 1328. Don't forget to download our app. Available on iPhone and Android. That's YRN 1328. And I know a lot of folks are like, what does YRN stand for? That's your radio network. So big shouts out to Anthony D. Collins and Trent Williams, uh, CEOs of your radio network. And uh, make sure you guys go download that app so that you can keep up with not only the Beautiful Butterfly Show, but the other awesome shows that we have here on the program. I'm going to be giving you guys um, a schedule um, of the show so that you can jot down your notes or come back and listen to uh, so that you'll know who's going to be on and times that you can listen. I encourage you to check out everybody's show. Everybody's giving giving you something different, a different flavor. It's like a big old gum, gumbo pie, a mixture of everything. So I'm excited, folks. We've got a new and a special guest joining us this evening, you guys. We have Julie Yes. Uh, McLean in the building, you guys. And we're going to be talking about his book entitled Harlem Nights and Footstep Blues. And, man, I'm going to tell you guys, when I saw the the um, title of this book, uh, it kind of puts you um, into a different headspace. Um, you know, um, it's one of those smooth titles, and it gets you geared up for what you're about to be in store for. So I'm excited. I'm excited about him coming on and sharing with us tonight as well. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then I'm going to bring him on. Um, Jamal, excuse me, Julius, but his name is Julius Jamal. <laughs> Julius is a native of South Florida. He is an African-American writer, poet, and creator striving to encourage, influence, and represent the voice of young artists. Inspired by the work and creativity of African-American writers like Langston Hughes and James Baldwin, his debut poetry book, Harlem Nights and Footstep Blues, evolved organically from a desire to create something relatable, impactful, and relevant to modern social issues and culture. Julia's poetry is a way for him to speak from the perspective of those from his demographic who are not given the opportunity to speak for themselves often. His desire is for the sound of his own voice to ignite the passion within those of his generation and motivate them to express themselves in the same manner. So I'm excited about having him on, you guys. And um, we're going to see if he's going to share some live pieces with us here on the show tonight as well. And so if you guys out there maybe got a question or a comment or you just want to show him some love, feel free to call in. The number is 347-326-9139. Once again, that's 347-326-9139. And make sure you press the number one and we'll bring you up on the line uh, so that you can join us on here as well. So I'm not going to delay any longer, I'm going to bring Julius up on you guys so you guys can get to know him even better for you for yourself. Julius, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Um, first of all, thank you for the introduction that you gave me. Just um, Absolutely. Um, it's good to be here. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, um, as I as I mentioned, you of course you are a native of South Florida, and so of course I want to ask you, um, Julius, what 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 is it um, about writing, about poetry, um, that um, made you want to create your own book? When did you first begin? the writing process. How old were you um, when you asked to start, you know, writing and, and expressing yourself um, through words? Well, I've always wrote when I was in school, and I used to do it, and I, and I was pretty good at it. And mm-hmm. then over time, you know, I would continue to do it, but I didn't really like, focus on it that much. And when mm-hmm. I got to high school, I started to really excel at it in one of my courses. And my my senior year, when I was in my English class, my teacher she was telling me about you know about my writing, and and I was getting ready to go to college, and she was telling me you know that I should go to a liberal arts college instead of the school that mm-hmm. I was planning to go to. And back then, right. I was thinking about it; I wasn't really focusing on it, and um because it's what I ended up doing anyways. But it was just something that kind of just happened over time. I started to do it, and it was something that I used to do occasionally when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to college, I would write and do poems. And um, actually, my um, my fraternity would have events on campus, mm-hmm. and I would write poems at the events or incorporate that into the events, and then over time it just evolved into more and more poetry, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I started to just do more and more over time, and it, it kind of just developed on its own. Okay, wow. And so um, do you find that sometimes people are surprised? Because oftentimes when we um, talk about men and men expressing themselves, um, a lot of people, you know, still believe that, okay, you know, it's hard for men to express themselves. So are people still surprised, you know, when they read your work um, to know, you know, all of this came from a man expressing, you know, how he feels and and what he sees um, going on around him? Some sometimes they are, sometimes they yeah. see it and it, it catches them off guard when you tell them that you do write poetry or you know because it's not a it's not really represented that much for you know us as black males doing it. Not that we don't have the capability to do it, but it's just not right. something that's presented. Right. You know, and that's what I really wanted to do. Um, that's why I really wanted to do it in the first place because I wanted to like create that type of, mm-hmm. I guess like that type of lane, even though I'm not really creating anything, but at least show people that it's okay to do that type of thing and right. to right. pursue arts and other things outside of sports and the typical things that they try to right. box us in and, and Absolutely. you know, push us into. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and but so of course in your bio, um, in your bio as well, you mentioned you know uh, being able to speak um, for people um, who have come from kind of the same uh, background in which you have as well. Did you find that um, people um, coming uh, from the same area or same background as you um, kind of maybe had a, a hard time? Um, expressing what they were, you know, seeing and what was taking place around them? Right. I, I think that they're not really encouraged as much to okay. express those things. Not yeah. that they, they couldn't, but it's just it's just them being pushed in certain directions or being told that they can only do certain things and they just kind of just go, you know, based on what people say that they can do rather than trying to pursue those things outside of what people expect them to do. So I think we just don't encourage those type of things as much as we should. And that's why they they don't have the opportunity to express themselves because they don't think that that's something that they can do. Like a lot of times they will focus on playing sports, like even like in my community because I'm in South Florida and Mm -hmm. football is a big thing. And there are all types of like Pop Warner parks, and yeah, yeah, you know, it's something that the kids always get into, 
and and they kind of get forced into that, like right. to play football right. or if they don't I play agree. football, then they, you know, they end up either, you know, they might be poetic, but they might just say, oh, I can just rap. And, mm-hmm. you know, instead of just having a, being able to rap, which is nothing wrong with rapping, but then you can yeah. also be a poet or you can be something mm-hmm. different, a different type of artist. Yeah. Absolutely, I absolutely agree. I think you know, and and I and I know exactly what you mean. We have a lot of those leagues um, around here, and seeing that you know, because you have a lot of kids who you know their dad might have been a football player or a basketball player or uncle, grandfather, whatever. So you know, it's kind of pushing a force upon them. And so you see, I mean, we see it on the field all the time. Those kids who are just terrified or they just don't want to be out there, you know, because they're pushed out there. And so sometimes nobody has tapped into those other outlets, you know, that they might want to do. They might want to be a great artist, you know. They they might be great, you know, musically wise, but nobody sees that because, you know, in their eyes they want them to play sports. They want them to be out there on the field or the court. Um, so I definitely agree with, you know, getting out and, and, and letting the youth know that, you know, there there's other options in life. I think, and you mentioned earlier in the show about, you know, um, boxing us in. And I think that's why sometimes um, our kids only, you know, they they only reach for certain things because that's all they see. You know, if they see that other people are capable of being a writer, other people are capable um, of owning a, a Fortune 500 company or whatnot, um, then that will give them even more things to shoot for. But if we only show them what we want them to see, you know, that's what they're going to limit themselves at. Right. Um, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, just like a lot of times, like you said, those kids have those interests initially, but it's just over time, like constantly, you know, get those images of them only doing certain things that kind of let those things go because a lot of times kids are interested in arts or yeah. music or, you know, whatever when they're younger. But then as time, goes on and they, they get older, they kind of just limit themselves and, and lose that, you know, that desire that they had where they could have been the next great artist or musician or, you know, whatever it is that they initially wanted to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, for you, because, of course, um, in your book, um, and creating this, what made you come up with a title? I definitely love the title of it. What made you come up with the title of this Harlem Nights and Footstep Blues? Well, I mean, the crazy part is I was I was struggling to come up with a title, and mm-hmm. I wasn't really trying really hard to come up with a title, but I just didn't know what the title was going to be, and I had a couple ideas. I can't even remember what I was going to name it before, and I started to just create a lot of poetry, and a lot of it was influenced off of things that I read, and I have, you know, a collection from Langston Hughes that I have been reading, and it, it kind of just influenced me because to him, Harlem was a big deal, and it was something that was used in a lot of his work. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of his poems have the title Harlem mm-hmm. in it, or even if the title's not in it, he may just reference a street in Harlem. Right. You know, right. something about Harlem, sometimes not even just in the title. And, um, you know, as I read the work that he had created and saw just the significance of, of what Harlem meant to him and, and what it meant in general for that time period mm-hmm. and what they were doing, it, it was something that was more than just a place and more than just, you know, a period, but it was it was transcendent and it had like a certain meaning beyond that. And um, for me, I he had a, a poem that was called Harlem and it was um, one of his most famous poems that most people don't really know that the name of the title mm-hmm. or the title of the poem is Harlem. But, okay. you know, it's about a dream deferred and, but the title of the poem is Harlem, and what I did was I wrote a poem called Harlem Nights, and mm-hmm. basically it's like a, it's kind of like a reimagining of that poem, but in modern times, and I took that one, and I had another poem 
that I made based off of The Weary Blues, which was his first book of poetry, and right, also the right. title poem in that book. And I, I took The Weary Blues and I made Footstep Blues, which was another poem. So I took those two poems, and it was after I had already wrote those poems that I decided to put those together as the title. And it just sounded really good, and I, and I wanted to incorporate that into the title. Awesome. So I just put the two poems and put them together. Awesome, 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 and um, the and your in your in your pieces they touch on uh, very different issues um, that go on. Uh, one of my favorites uh, that I did enjoy uh, is a baby's eyes. Uh, I, I really enjoy um, reading that piece um, because it, it took me back to when I when I first had my child and that experience, you know, of looking at them um, and, and seeing that innocence. Uh, within them, and so uh, I, I definitely thought that was an amazing piece. Uh, what was your inspiration behind um, A Baby's Eyes? Well, my um, my sister has two kids, and um, mm-hmm. one of them is like, he's 10 years old, and the other one is, I think he's like two or three, and just, you know, observing them and seeing how they you know, just how they are, you know, how they're um, not really affected by the things, the same things that we're affected by because they yeah. almost live in a different world and they have like, a different viewpoint. And, and a lot of times when people look at a child, they see it as like a lower level. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. If you look at it from another perspective, sometimes it's not necessarily a lower level you know, right. there are certain things that we have that children don't have, but there's certain things that children have that we don't have. And a lot of people right. that are really successful and enjoying life really are adults living in a childlike way or, you know, doing things that they've always done, but just mm-hmm. continue to keep the spirit of who they are, even as they grew older and, and got responsibilities and things and I took um, also inspiration from this poem from William Wordsworth called Rainbow, where mm-hmm. he, he says something about the child being the father of man. And I always thought that was interesting. And it just uh, the, the metaphorical meaning of it and how it's, it's different from how we would normally think. And I just kind of just took that idea and just went with it and it really just got personified in the in the eyes of a baby because like when you look in someone's eyes, like when people say you look in someone's eyes and you can see, you know, who they are, you can see everything. And it just was like just a way to look into the perspective of them. Like when you look into their eyes and see what you know, how they're looking and and look into it and see who they are as a child. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, and uh, what I want to do, Julius, uh, I want to take a little break. We're going to come back, you know, we're going to try to get uh, Julius to share uh, some pieces with us, you guys, and so I want you guys to stay tuned in right here to the Beautiful Butterfly Show, and we'll be right back, you guys. Check out the creative work of the author, Trent Williams, of www.taylorkennedymedia.com. Chapter of the Delta gives us a peek at his life-changing events. And if that's not enough, Trent tells you more about his brothers and his life through memoirs in his book, The Four Horsemen. His blogs and daily stimulating quotes are published in his book, Life's Little Addiction. And when you have a need of some human coaching of life and relationships, take a look at Conversations with Trent, Volume 1 and 2. And Conversations with Trent, Limited Edition. You will find his work available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all online book retailers. Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. Vivian comes from anything but a happy home. She is sheltered, young, and beautiful with a life that is filled with drama and pain. Trusting no one. Vivian makes a habit of covering up her bruises and pretending that all is well. DeMarco is a young police officer who thinks he is living the perfect married life. The unforgiving streets of Queens, New York are about to show him that he couldn't 
be more wrong. His wife's dirty secrets are exposed and DeMarco is left to decide if he still wants his marriage. Intimidated by Love by Melody S. Available now at all online book retailers. This is Lyrics Brown, author of the Law to the Hustle series 1 and 2, also author of The Devil's Calling Card 1, 2, and 3, all available on Amazon. And when I'm not writing, I'm listening to Bianca Fly here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. Y'all be easy. to the beautiful butterfly show you guys we are joined by julius mclean he is the author of harlem nights and footstep blues you guys and if you're out there and maybe you got a question or comment for him feel free to call in the number three four seven three two six nine one three nine. All you have to do is press the number one. We want to thank all the callers on the lines that are listening. All you guys that are listening via Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we appreciate you guys for tuning in and supporting the show. And you guys that are listening via our app, that's YRN thirteen twenty eight available on iPhone and Android. Uh, so we appreciate you guys who are out there tuning in various locations. And um, of course, before the break. Uh, I was telling Julius about um, a, a poem that he wrote, um, and so I wanted him to be able to share uh, that poem with you guys. Um, and we talked about it a little earlier in the show, um, um, A Baby's Eyes. And so uh, you ready to share that with us, Julius? Yes. Okay. A Baby's Eyes. What lives within a baby's eyes, wonder, confusion, surprise, twinkling stars of essence, Uncompromised, those bright little eyes searching the skies, surfing on imaginative boards fueled by power cosmic. What lives within a baby's eyes? Things that we no longer realize are dear. A baby's eyes are clear. A baby's eyes don't veer away from truth. A baby's eyes are pure, full of youth and unbridled curiosity. A baby's eyes contain a flame that becomes dormant in older age, a flame that we should rekindle again. The child is the father of man who once understood what man must understand again after the regenerative loss of his natural intuitiveness. A baby's eyes are influenced by society's environmental pollutants. A baby's eyes contain the blueprint for achieving unparalleled bliss. A baby's eyes should be prized as a symbol of all we should strive to be. A baby's eyes inspire me t- to 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 be. Awesome, awesome, and uh, I, I love it because I, I think it's one of those um, those pieces, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, and and as you mentioned earlier, um, that oftentimes people believe, you know, that that mindset of a child, you know, is 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 low. But at at the same time, I believe that um, children are able to see a lot of the things that we as adults miss in life. You know, I think there's um, sometimes when we just get so overwhelmed with things that are going on in our lives, that pure and the joy um, of just living day to day. And so kids have that way of bringing that out in us, you know, whether you have your own kids or whether you have nieces and nephews. Um, they have that way of, of bringing, kind of bringing you back to your childhood, you know, when sometimes we get we, we get uh, astray from it at times. And so uh, for and you, to me, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, and to me, um, our children have a certain curiosity 
about mm-hmm. them. And, mm-hmm. You know, they're they're just naturally curious. Like they're always looking Absolutely. to find the answer to things. And, and a lot of times when we when we view things, we already know the answer. Or sometimes we don't even look to see answers for things. Like we just take whatever we're told or whatever you know people think. And, and they just have a certain curiosity about them that, that looks into things where we don't even try to examine things sometimes. So that's that's also a big thing that I that I see and I, and it inspires me a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. And um I think a lot of uh your pieces um have a way of uh, bringing us back to um uh, you know what what's relatable and what's going on with us and for um a lot of people even taking you back um uh, because there was a piece um of yours oh I hope I don't mess up the title um was it mother Nelly is that correct yes that's the, that's the name of it mother Nelly uh it reminded me uh of some older women um that I knew growing up in church um and so I kind of envisioned them as well um uh, reading that piece um also and so uh, how did you um, find that, that inspiration for um, Mother Nelly? Was she an actual person that you um, were able to meet and know? Yeah, that's actually like um, you know really based uh, um, directly off of my grandmother actually. Okay. And um, I um, what I did was my grandmother she actually passed away in 2012. And oh. I was in school at the time, and it, it was just a big, it was a big moment for me because she meant so much to me. And you know, when I started writing and putting things together, I would just write things just about her, just to you know remember her, or remember who she was, and it was just inspired off of that. And the poem itself, like I, I took, it, it's like a progression of when she was getting older and, you know, her health was not as good as it used to be. And, you know, she was still, like, who she was through through all of that. Like, through all of that, she would maintain who she was. Yeah. And to me, the yeah. way to represent that was to, to place her somewhere that she always was at, which was in the church and at that pew, that particular section that she was in. So mm-hmm. the, the section represented, like, a, it was like a consistency of who she was. Mm-hmm. So it was like two different things going on in the poem. Like it's remaining consistent with the with the location and the place, but there are also changes and things going around and things that are different, even though she maintains that consistency. So that was just a way to, you know, tribute or attribute to her and to try to like, you know, capture who she was as a person and represent that and how it inspired me. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I love as well how in the book um, uh, the poems are broken down. Um, if you uh, if you got when you guys purchased um, Julia's book, um, it, it kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like a screenplay and it gets you ready for the next thing. And so you have, you know, different um, breaks in it where you have the um, piece uh, or, or the chapter or section entitled Destined to Fail, um, Young Joseph, um, Seed. Uh, and so forth, and so I, I like the way you were able to gradually um, bring uh, the readers um, into each piece that um, you would be sharing. And I wanted to ask you, Julius, what is? Are there are there any difficult parts um, being a poet about being a writer? Um, are, are, you know, sometimes do you have a, a issue of trying to determine, you know, how much you should put into a piece or, you know, what you should take, you know, take out of it to make it um, as effective as you want it to be to the readers? A lot of times, like, I I try to do things. I I do them in spurts, like, when I'm inspired and I write down things. And and I, you know, sometimes I might write down a title or, you know, I actually have, like, hundreds of poems that I've written, you know, you know, I was working on doing another, like I have like other poems and I was working on doing another book. But sometimes it's, you know, I make changes. I might make like big changes to it, but it's, it's you know, it's just really spontaneous how I, how I do it. I, you know, I look at it and, you know, if I like it, then I'll 
you know, keep it how it is or, you know, I'll Absolutely. look over it and find different ways. And, and what I find mm-hmm. is um, with poets, I, I like the, the fact that I can have, like, a bunch of work and people may like different pieces. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I have a collection of poetry um, that Langston Hughes has, and he, he has over 800 poems that he right. That have actually been pub- like either published, you know, or published like after he was alive. But out of those eight hundred poems, like as great as a poet that he is, like only people remember, you know, maybe like ten, Certain like ones, if, yeah. if they remember a lot. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's crazy true. that you can do so much, and and you never know what people would like. So I like to incorporate different things. Like some people might say, like certain things are better than others or, you know, some poems benefit from being in a collection because on their own, they might not, you know, stand out as much, but being in that collection kind of holds them together. So I try to like just keep different things and try different things and be open-minded about my approach and just try to sharpen up what I have and make sure I get the most out of it. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And um, for you, um, because I know you mentioned you had hundreds of poems, um, are you are you one of those individuals who uh, writes every day? Do you write every day, or you just write, you know, whenever, well, you know, whenever the moment hits you? Yeah, I, I wish I I could write every day. <laughs> or at least I wish I had everything like you know that organized. You know right, what I mean? It's, right. it's a goal I would like to have, but it just doesn't always work out that way when I when I wake up and I got all these things to do. Uh, it's something I want to try to do, but I, I do a great job of, of not, like, you know, a lot of people say they get writer's block or, you know, they spend a lot of time trying to write. And what I do is I just, you know, I write when I feel like writing. And then if I don't feel like writing or something happens, I just stop. I try to like maximize the time. And I think that's how I'm, I was able to write so much in a short period of time. Because yeah. when I when I get the inspiration, I just write it, and then I'll come back to it when I when I have the time to, and you know just be more effective with my time. But, you know, I do wish I could write every day. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, do you have uh, another piece you wanted to share with the listeners about me? Um, yeah, I actually wanted to share the, because I spoke about them earlier, Harlem Nights and the Foot Up Blues yeah. songs. Yeah. So I, I wanted to read Harlem Nights and then, okay. you know, read Foot Up Blues. Okay. So, um, let me actually just find it real quick. Just give me one second. Okay. Okay, this is Harlemites. All right. What happens to a slave deferred from freedom? And we need him. Does he believe every lie that we feed him? How long can we deceive him? How do we sleep at night knowing the nature of his plight? Perhaps it is more dangerous if he knows than if he doesn't know that he lies so low on the totem pole. After all, the bottom is more pleasant than limbo. The first lies are more pleasant than truth told. What happens to a lie deferred from truth? Does it hold even after it's century old, centuries old? Or does it explode? Mm-hmm. And that was all of my song. You want me to read the two back to back, or do you want me to read the other one later? Yeah, you can. Let me just read First Step Blues. This one is footstep blues. On a grossly neglected street, marching to his own imaginary beat, I watched the Negro plant his feet. Each step gave a glimpse of the path he had tread. His walk was a language that I had read, and few could understand what it actually said. I heard the horns of his gangster bounce, 
The sound of his kicks on pavement drowned every other sound out. Meanwhile, my walk danced to a slightly different beat. Our signature styles collided on that jagged street. In the midst of our percussive street melodies, we nodded our heads to acknowledge each other as young black kindred, understood without being said. Our music linked our telepathic threads. Boogie woogie bebopped. We grooved and beat hop to street feet hip hop. We spoke through footstep blues and dope Nike shoes. Footstep blues and dope Nike shoes. Footstep blues, Jordan 2s, Gamma Blues, Ella Fitzgerald, Satchmo Lou, Langston Hughes, those footstep blues. Awesome. And uh, for you, uh, when doing, you know, creating your poetry and, and putting out here, um, what is what is what is your ultimate goal um, when you have put these pieces out here? I know you mentioned um, with Langston Hughes, you know, even though um, uh, he wrote lots of poems, people only you know remember certain ones. Uh, what what is Julia's ultimate goal by uh, writing poetry and putting it out here? Um, for people to be able to read? Well, well, for me, it's it's just about trying to find ways to express myself and be creative. Like, to me, my Mm -hmm. only goal is to be as creative as I can be and to try to do a lot of different things, like to maximize who I am as a person and try Mm -hmm. to be, you know, I guess, like, kind of like that type of person, like a versatile person, like how those individuals were, like the people that I, that I idolize or that I see as role models or people that, that I look at, you know, things that they did in history and say, you know, that person could connect to me in this period of time. I just want to try to be that type of person and try to maximize everything that I do and do things that, are important and significant and try to reach people and find ways to reach people. And, and this just happens to be like the the first, well, not the first, but one of the more high profile things that I've done. And right. that's just how it really came about is I just, you know, I was just writing in my spare time and, you know, being really creative, and then it, it became sort of a challenge to try to look at things that other poets did and take inspiration from what they did and try to capture who they were or the type of impact that they had. Because when I was looking at Langston Hughes, what really stood out to me is that his poetry could connect you to, you know, just reading it to him, like it can link you to him without you having even, you know, met him or even having been in that time period. And that's the type of stuff that I wanted to do is to create something that connects the people and makes them feel a certain type of way. And, you know, just try to give them something that could kind of capture, you know, who they are and, and who we are as people. And connect each other and show what we are capable of and, and you know, what we can do and who we can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I also um, wanted to ask you, um, in a lot of the various things um, that you speak on, what has been um, one of the most difficult pieces uh, to date that um, you've had to write, is any? You mean in the collection, in the actual collection, or just in general? Huh? No, I was saying in the in, in Harlem Action Footstep Blues, or just in general? Yes, uh huh. Or in altogether, um, the, the 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 hardest piece that you've had to write. The hardest piece, um. It's kind of hard for me to think about, really. <laughs> but um, well, I can I can answer it in a couple of different ways. Um, okay. The most challenging pieces to write are the pieces okay. that have yeah. like a certain structure, um, like certain poems in my collection are villanelles, 
which is a certain type of poem that has a specific mm-hmm. structure. And it, it deals with, like, a lot of repetition, like certain lines, lines like repeat each other. They have refrains that are, they have to be in that specific structure. So to me, those are the most challenging to write, just to try to be structured, because that's not really my style. But right. I, I do it sometimes to, you know, just to challenge myself as a poet and, you know, to show that I can do more than just, you know, Absolutely. you know, unstructured poetry. To try to, like, you know, get outside of my comfort zone. So those are the most challenging for me to write structurally. Um, the most mm-hmm. challenging for me to write are, you know, just to write, like, really personal things sometimes as well, like just, you know, getting in that zone and, and realizing that when you're writing personal things, even though not everything that I write is about me, but it, it could be, and it, it can affect, like, how people view you, you know, it, it's a little bit different because when you put out poetry or any type of writing that's really personal, People start to view you based off of it. Like they, they don't even see you sometimes as yourself. And you know that's something that, that I've always thought about is that you know when people think that everything that I write is me, or that um, you know just things that I've written are my mindset 100% or something. You know I'm, I may be writing about something or writing from one perspective at a certain period of time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's 100% of my viewpoint or that I wouldn't understand something from another perspective. So, I mean, those are the most challenging things to write to me. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And for the poets out here and writers out here aspiring um, who are just, you know, getting, getting, Getting their foot wet, so to speak. What would be um, Julia's words of advice or encouragement, encouragement um, to those who, you know, are just beginning to write? They, they have aspirations of being a poet. They have aspirations of being a writer. Uh, what would be your words of advice to them? Well, for them, I think it would be to, you know, try to continue writing. You know, just to try things, like not to judge themselves too harshly, you know, to be strict on themselves, but don't try to just, you know, just tear yourself apart because you'll get better. You know, if I can go back on throwing myself through the before, it's like I'm so much better as a poet, you know, like doing just some writing, some poetry, and, you know, mm-hmm. Why not they actually doing it? I talk to people sometimes, and they don't think that they can write poetry, and you know that it takes a certain, you know that you just have to be like a certain type of person. And if you, you know, set your mind to it and really practice it and just try it, then you, you know, you never know what you might get out of it. And, and the only thing that you can really lose, you can't really lose anything out of it actually, because even if you write something and you don't think that it turns out to be good, you know, just writing could be therapeutic for you. You know, it could just be something that's good for them to do to get their thoughts, even if they don't necessarily try to publish a book poetry or do something like that. So my advice would be that you know, there's nothing really to lose from trying things and, you know, really just trying to think outside the box and, do different things, you know, just try different stuff and and be themselves and be creative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great words uh, to uh, those aspiring to uh, step out um, on their journey um, and on their faith. And I think that, you know, it's great, and I love the fact that, you know, with your poetry you touch on various subjects. Um, I like to see the versatility um, is showing people that you can, you know, you can write on all kind of things, whether it's love or a baby or or sadness and so forth. And so I think um, a lot of people respect that and enjoy it when you're able to see um, writers expand themselves uh, through various subjects and topics. And so um, 
Did you have a, a final piece you wanted to share with us? Sure. Um, okay. I can, I can do another one. I'll just, I'll just okay. One. <laughs> Give me one second. Judy was like, oh, be fine. Put me on the spot. <laughs> Well, I got the book right here, so it's not, it's not that, that much on the side. But um, I'll read um, this one called Slipping Sand. I tried to grasp it before my time ended. Sand slipped through my finger, killing my desire to linger. What do you do when your glass runs out of sand? Me, I search for another glass, knowing that it won't last. We move from glass to glass, inside of a much bigger glass. Glasses inside of a glass, flashes of brilliance pass, lasting until the last drip of sand, waning until the end. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, to the folks out there, uh, to the folks out here, where they can go about um, purchasing um, your book. My book is available on Amazon. It's available both in paperback version on Amazon. It's $10 on Amazon for paperback and also on the Kindle version, which is two ninety nine on Amazon. It's also available on Barnes & Noble now for both paperback and on ebook as well. For the Nook, paperback is $10, and the ebook for the Nook is $0.99. Cents. And it's also available for ebook on pretty much every other platform. So it's on Apple iBooks for ninety nine cents, on Smashwords for ninety nine cents. And actually, right now, Smashwords is running a promotion for the month of July, where um, they can actually get the book for free, the ebook version on Smashwords, which was ninety nine cents. But there's a code for the summer promotion, which if they use the code S-FREE, they would get the book 100% off, which would be free. And um, it's also available on Blio, which is and it's an app that most people don't know about, but for people that have smartphones, Blio is $0.99. Cents. They can use that on their smartphones, and they can also use the app Kobo on their iPhones for people that have Android and they don't have Apple iTunes or Apple phone to download it on. And I'm pretty sure that's it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, for the folks out here who um, are on social media, how can um, folks connect with you as far as Twitter, Facebook, and all that good stuff? Well, my Twitter is at Julius J. McQueen. My Facebook is Julius Jamal McLean. My full name, Jamal, is Julius, J-U-L-I-U-S, Jamal, J-A-M-A-A-L, and McLean, M-C-L-E-A-N. And I have a, I have a Tumblr, which is, the Tumblr is Universale Uomo, which is an Italian word. It means universal man. But it's U N I V E R S A L E U O M O. That's my Tumblr, and that's also my Instagram. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm also, oh, go ahead. You know, I was saying, I'm also working on an author website, which is going to be JuliusJamalMcLean.com. So I'm in the process of working on that, and hopefully, I have it soon in the next couple of months done but that will be my author website and it'll have all my information and my my books and everything awesome so what's um in the works next for you um you have this book um are you going to be working on um other books and projects as well i have a couple of projects in mind um been i have a lot of poems so I'm definitely going to do another poetry book to figure out how many I'm going to have in that and which ones. And I have a couple other books that I have planned or ideas. Um, I wanted yeah. to do some movie scripts, so that's something that I wanted to work on. 
And that's pretty much it. It's like just trying to work on one thing at a time. Right. I never know, you know, what I'm going to do because I have so many ideas. But it's just trying to find the time to actually act on one. Put it all together. (laughs) Yeah, just do one at a time. But I'm always thinking of things and trying to do new things. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, Well, I definitely encourage you guys to make sure that uh, you check out the book, and I'll be posting uh, that information on the Beautiful Butterfly uh, show page on Facebook so everyone can have access to it so that they can um, get their copy of um, Harlem Nights and Footstep Blues, you guys. And, uh, Julia, it was a pleasure having you on the show tonight. I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come and join us over here on the Beautiful Butterfly show. Well, I mean, it was a pleasure being on here, and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, you know, to speak with you about my book, and, you know, I enjoyed the interview and everything, so thank you. Absolutely awesome, and, uh, of course, I'll be tuning in. I hope you have a – well, I hope you'll come back and join us here on the show again. No, no problem. You know, I definitely will be looking for the opportunity to come back again. Hopefully I have, you know, whatever my next book is. Uh, absolutely. Talk about that. Absolutely, absolutely, and I hope you have a great uh, rest of your evening. I'll be talking with you soon. All uh, right, you too. All right, all right. All right, you guys. That was Julius Lee. You guys, the author of Harlem Nights and Foot. Step Blues, you guys. I'm telling you guys, you're going to enjoy this book. A lot of awesome, awesome poetry uh, from him touches on various subjects. Uh, it definitely gives you some things to reflect on and enjoy and all of that good stuff. So what we're going to do, you guys, we're going to take a break, you guys, and I want to let you guys hear Renetta May's new single, you guys. It's entitled You Got Me Open uh, right here on your radio network. Good on love, felt I didn't need it to be. 
And welcome back, everyone, to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. I'm your host, Bianca Fly. Once again, big shout-out and thank you to Julius McLean for joining us here on the show tonight. We definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Make sure you guys go and check out Harlem Nights and Footstep Blues, you guys, um, and definitely enjoy. You're going to love reading it. I want to give you guys the schedule over here on YRN 1328, you guys. On Mondays, you guys can catch Conscious Vibes with Brother Ramiel L. Bay at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And on Tuesdays, um, of course, it's a beautiful butterfly show with your host, Bianca Fly, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Wednesday, uh, the Priceless Mind Show with Sherry P., at 9 p.m., and I'm back on Thursday, you guys, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Friday, you can catch Conversations with Trent featuring Lisa Tillman Page, you guys. That goes down at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, that's all comes to you on your radio network, your radio, your conversation. So we definitely want to say thank you to all of you guys who have tuned in with us tonight. We definitely appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us and support the show, as you guys always do in a magnificent way. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we are going uh, to get ready to get out of here. And uh, we're going to go out of here with a piece um, by... Uh, Floetic Flow, you guys. This one's entitled Ghetto Uniforms. We'll see you guys back on Thursday. We got Arthur. Tamika Kane is in the building, you guys, and we're going to be talking about her book entitled When a Man Loves a Woman. So, you guys, hey, make sure you is here in the building for that. That's going on at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Beautiful Butterfly Show. You guys have a great evening. I'll see you next time. White tees, blue jeans, pants hanging down to your knees. Ghetto uniforms. Let me ask you a question. What team do you play for? Playing the position of defense all because of the offenses that were done against you. But you see, your willingness to conform to an outfit that signifies a behavior that doesn't belong to you classifies your need to take part in an assembly whose sole purpose by this society has been classified as weak simply because the outfit is not unique. White tees, blue jeans, pants hanging down to your knees. This look gives your teammates a bad name. Stereotypical fashion that is seen on TV. All that's missing is your jersey number, a.k.a. your digits. And seven or more may explain the crucial piece in life that you as a team member have been missing. Because statistics say that one in every three black men will be sent to the state. 59% of brothers will be charged with a drug case. And 29% of black men will be convicted of rape. Let's not even talk about the brothers that go falsely accused. All because of the outfit they subconsciously choose. Y'all might as well put on your county blues. Young men, do me a favor. Please stop being fools. It's hard enough out here in these streets just being you. The complexion of your skin makes it hard for you to win. And if you lose, so do we. Because there are already too many brown babies being born and not and not enough whole unit families. And I, I as a mother, I write this piece as a play because you and your life, believe it or not, it matters to me. And ghetto uniforms, they're way too recognizable out here in these streets. Especially when the gang rocks to say that every young black man just joined the team. White tees, blue jeans, pants hanging down to your knees, ghetto uniform. Take them off, please. The Beautiful Butterfly Show would like to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram. That's at Instagram.com forward slash The Beautiful Butterfly Show. Also on Facebook.com forward slash The Beautiful Butterfly Show. And last but certainly not least, you can also catch up with us on Twitter. That's at Twitter.com forward slash The Beautiful Butterfly Show. And thank you once again for tuning in on behalf of the Vibration Radio Network.